G'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I just want to let you know and give you a bit of a heads up that today's show was recorded pre-COVID-19 um, before all this stuff broke out. And in today's show, we talk a little bit about recessions and how uh, Manish and I think about recessions and what was coming back in January of 2020. We're talking a little bit more about the systemic issues when it is related to recessions. So stuff like the banking sector, stuff like the stock market. Um, now we're obviously in the midst of COVID-19. So take everything within this episode with a bit of grain of salt because COVID-19 will have an impact on the recession. Um, and I hope you enjoy. Gold and silver is actually just uh, an inverse uh, asset to cash. And so the logical reason of investing in gold and silver is this, is more cash going to be printed? And if the answer is yes, then you need to have some gold and silver. It's just as simple as that. There's a 92% correlation to the amount of money that's printed and the amount of gold, the, the price of gold and silver going up. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Manish Bindi. Manish started his real estate investing career way back when he was just 16 years old, helping his dad negotiate and sell real estate. Now, over the years, he's helped many real estate investors buy over 20 million pounds worth of property, and he now is a public speaker and invests around the globe, and he teaches people on how to buy gold, silver, real estate, and stocks as income-generating assets. His clients are in 46 different countries, and they have over a 92% success rate with his particular program. His focus is on long-term investing combined with cash flow. Simple strategies that work for everyday people. Uh, I'm really excited and pumped to have him on the show to share his incredible insight and you know what he does with us. But uh, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Manish. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? 
I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. One thing I got to correct is the 20 million pounds of the property was when we were doing uh, physical deals between when I was 16 and about 19. Got so it. It's got uh, it. much more now, but uh, that was <laughs> that period of, of, of absolute haywire in London. Right, right. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that uh, in a little bit, but I'm really interested because we're talking a little bit in the green room before we press record here about where we're going to go with this show today. And, and you know, you are from the United Kingdom, um, but but tell the listeners where, where you're dialing in from today. I'm in uh, Bogota in Colombia right now. Nice, nice. Yeah. What, are you, what are you living down there? You're down there for a tax haven? What, what's, what's the point? No. Holiday? <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. I, I love Colombia. I started coming here maybe two and a half three years ago because a friend of mine moved here from chicago and i just i I I love it here so i decided to come and see if there was any other opportunities here that i could get involved in um so yeah that's that's pretty much why i'm here and i can manage my entire portfolio from one of these so it's like (laughs) well mate with, with all that being said do you want to rewind the clock and tell me actually how you made your first ever dollar as a kid and i don't know if it was with your dad buying and selling real estate but did you have any jobs um, prior to that, uh, to, to understand the value of a dollar? No, I never had any jobs um, prior to prior to that. I, you know, little things like selling SIM cards and this, that, and the other in school. But I never had another job. I've never actually had an official job. The closest I got to a job was uh, work experience, and I realized I never ever wanted a boss. Um, and so that was, and that yeah, two weeks of work experience. Oh my god, it's bringing back nightmares right now. But um, yeah, that's as close as I got. I, I really learned the value of a dollar through the 2008 market crash. That was, for me, understanding, okay, what, what you know, money's worth and, and things like that. That was my way of figuring it out. Got it. And so maybe walk us through the, the, the upbringing that you had, because I mentioned in the bio that your dad was involved in real estate investing. So clearly, he's been a very influential part in the success that you've paved through to today. Yeah, so my dad was always, ever since I can remember, my dad's always been involved in some form of business, some, and real estate was always a part of that. Um, and, you know, when I used to always watch him, but when I was about 15, 15 and a half, I, I was watching him particularly negotiate a deal that looked like he was having a tough time negotiate this deal. And it was on loudspeaker and he's in the living room and I'm standing by the door and, and he's negotiating this. And... I stood there and he got, put the phone down and I, I was just sort of smirking as arrogant smirk on my face as you do as you're 15 and a half years old. And he said, what are you, what are you smirking at? And I said, I don't know why you're so stressed. That looks easy to negotiate. I have no idea what, what you're so stressed about. And uh, luckily, instead of telling me to screw off, he said, well, show me then. Show me how easy it is. Um, and then I had to sort of figure it out. So I, all of my learning has been a just-in-time sort of learning model. Um, and it's sort of figuring out the goal and then going for it. And that's what has really uh, helped me, I think, all, along this way. And I was, I had zero idea of, of, of how to purchase a property, who you needed to talk to, what a lawyer was, what a mortgage broker was, you know, like I had zero clue how to talk to these people and I had to figure it out um, at about 15 and a half, 16 years old. And, and so walk us through that that period to, of learning and into some success in terms of doing your own deals. What did you cut your teeth on? What, what sort of properties were you buying in the United Kingdom for all those uh, US listeners out there that might be a little bit different to, to what they're buying today? 
Yeah. So what I realized that I was really, I was not, I realized very quickly that I was not able to empathize with someone that was in a desperate sales situation. Like uh, at, at 15 and a half, 16 years old, you just know, you know, coming from a, you know, uh, upper middle class family, like you just don't, you cannot empathize with that in order to get the right deal and get the trust that you need to get that to happen. So what I found was that bullying property managers was more fun for me. Um, and so my, my instantly grasped onto uh, new build developments that were sitting there that weren't sold uh, and walking in there and bullying property managers that had to hit particular numbers uh, and getting really good deals on, say, 18 units out of 30 that, that weren't sold. Um, and because I had a detachment to it being, you know, 16 years old, I knew that if this deal didn't work out, my life's not going to change. I still got to go to school. I still got to, I still got to do my homework. Uh, and so having that detachment helped in negotiating the deal because I could just walk away. And so quickly I started getting better deals than anyone else was getting. Um, and that emboldened my arrogance at that point uh, to just go out and keep doing that more and more and more. And I assume for those people who are listening, <clears throat> buying 18 units out of uh, surely would have been a condominium project, right? Is that what, what it was? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so talk, talk, talk to a little bit of how you're structuring that at 16 years of age. Like what were you, how were they taking you seriously? This little, this, this, this snot-nosed kid coming in saying, I'm going to buy 16 units out of, uh, out of the 200 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was the secret because I used to do it all over the phone. Uh, uh, I don't think, I don't think I ever met a property manager. Um, no, once I did, but by then I was like 19 years old and we'd already done two buildings. So it was like, you know, it was a shock, but it was uh, results are now speaking rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I spoke to them over the phone. Um, and we were basically doing no money down structures. So you would go, go out. My goal is to buy a hundred thousand pound property for 70,000 and then on the, buy that with cash and on the day of completion refinance at 90% of a of 100,000. So in essence, we were walking away with a very low interest loan as a cashback on the day of completion uh, and with some equity in the property as well. Um, and obviously then as we were packaging it and selling it to the investors, we had furniture packages, we, you know, everything else. We had the lawyers on both sides. We had the bridge financing, we had the mortgage brokers, et cetera, et cetera. So you were short term holding these to a to an end investor who'd buy it for hundred and twenty thousand pounds, right? Not, you, not, you bought it not seventy. Even not not right, even okay. that. We were basically we 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 were basically providing the bridge financing, and the thing was was that back in those times you had the ability to instantly refinance a property when mm. you completed on it. So we would bridge bridge finance it at seventy thousand and instantly refinance it at ninety uh, percent of 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 a hundred. With with the end investor as the buyer, correct? Yes. So they so we we would lend them the money. They would buy it in cash. They would instantly refinance, and it would all happen on the same day. And so, tell me how. What was your special source in terms of why were you finding these other buyers that the property managers were struggling to 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 move this product? I could I could again. I think it was just the arrogance of uh, being able to get the deal that helped with actually selling the deal. Um, and when I think when people realize. One of the things with me was I used to actually negotiate good deals. So I didn't have to bullshit around the fact that, you know, I didn't have to bullshit selling the deal. So I would break down the numbers and it would just make sense. And so 
it was very easy to sell. And I think that's one thing that I realized very early on. Selling is super easy when you're not selling bullshit. If you can, <laughs> people, people inherently can recognize the truth and can inherently recognize a good deal. Um, not completely and, correct. Yeah. So I think if you can get the numbers right and you can get them to look good on a spreadsheet, um, that's the wrong way of saying it. If you can get them to look as they are and it looks good on a spreadsheet as they are, um, then I think uh, any savvy investor uh, would would bite on the deal. Like it just it just makes sense. And so, for, give a bit of a context for the the American listener who's listening into the show. The difference in the real estate markets in the United Kingdom and and America. Uh, I've spoken about the difference between Australia and the United States, but but, but what type of deals are you doing? And and you know what what does the inv- investment horizon and, and landscape look like in the in the United Kingdom? Yeah, right now, I mean, it's uh, it's a little bit, it's it's a little bit in in this uh, in this pendulum swing because of Brexit, you know. So we don't know what exactly is going to happen, and it's been there for three or four years. So it's uh, it's it's really taking a toll on the market. I think the market should be much higher in the UK than it is right now. If we had certainty, we don't have that. Hopefully, with the new prime minister and everything else that's going on, we're going to get some certainty and some more investment flooding into the UK. The US is typically, it's where I invest now. Um, I don't buy any more property in the UK at this point. I like the US. Why, like, why is that? Well, I like the US and I like the way that I can use REITs in the US uh, to generate cash flow on my property as well as you know walk around with my entire property portfolio on one of these right so it just becomes easier uh for me to manage i don't need to talk to anyone and i still get phenomenal rates of returns um and i like the diversification as well you know it's uh reit is is diversified everywhere across the us across you know all different sectors of real estate um and but you know, if I was doing traditional real estate and traditionally buying the physical property, I would still do it in the U.S. simply because of the ease of financing that you have. Uh, you know, the fact that you can get a thirty-year fixed-rate mortgage is—you know—I wish I wish we could do that in the U.K. That would that would explode U.K. real estate prices if we could figure that out. That's so interesting because I, I I say very similar things when I talk about Australia, and Australia is obviously still part of the Commonwealth and is. On Commonwealth law and, and British law, um, but has still some of those, to- those hang-ups. And when I always compare the United States to Australia, at least, I always try and get people to think of the the amount of tentacles um, of lending tentacles I talk I call about talk about here in the United States. There's thousands of different ways of of, yep. of getting lending financing in Australia. There's maybe four or five major banks, and that's it. And they've got the market tied up, and what it, what their terms are, their terms, and it, that that's all there is. Um, so it's just it's so interesting to hear someone else talk about the struggles and 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 the beauty of U.S. real estate financing that is available and and a lot of these listeners who are probably listening to this show understand that we have a different uh, you know outlook on where we come from. So knowing what's in your backyard in the United States, get off the fence and freaking go do something. So I completely yeah. agree. I mean, there's uh, there are probably people listening to this going, "Oh, the U.S. can't be the best place to invest." Trust me, it is the best place to invest in real estate. Right. And it's got in and, and the reason why is not just the financing, but it's also to do with the population. It's also to do with how each state acts like its own little country. It's sort of like a mini Europe in its in its own um its own let's sense. Let's not go that far. Let's not go that far. <laughs> it's not as screwed up as Europe is. Uh, let's not let's not uh let's not do that. The US is in a much better state than Europe. 
Right, right. Well, 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 tongue in cheek, I always like to say the United States loves to get behind the United States when it comes to the Olympics. Every other time it's like, I'm from California, you're from Texas, I'm from Florida, piss yeah. off. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. say it with tongue in cheek. I say, I say it in a jovial way. Um, but, it's, but so talk about that, that coming to America type of investment and, and, and how you transition the business from UK. And actually, actually one question, we'll run back. What happened in 2008? What, what, what lessons did you learn? Because you said earlier in the show that you you made some mistakes or it really, really, you know, towed you up. What happened? What were you doing that, that when the crash hit that you had to, you know, either pivot or change or, or, or lose money or what happened? Well, I was lucky because after I did my first, so I was negotiating deals for about two years and then I bought three units out of a deal that I was selling. Um, and I got a 68,000 pound cashback on the day of completion of three units in the financial district of, of London, Canary Wharf. And uh, the weekend after that, me and a friend ended up in Monaco blowing 10 grand of that. Um, and the Monday I got back, no, the Tuesday I got back and a mentor of mine sat me down and taught me about the idea of keeping money versus making it, you know, the, keeping it being more important. And so I was very lucky in the sense that the 2008 uh, crash in real estate didn't really affect me as much because I had the resources and the reserves to sort of buffer anything that was going on. But what did happen was that the business side of it, the education side of it completely collapsed. Um, and so from, from that point of view, and also we were then teaching how people how to invest in the stock market using leverage and trade the markets, et cetera. And seeing people lose a lot of money to during 2008 gave me a, uh, a check on my consciousness um, because it made me realize what I'm doing here, even though people are losing money and my lawyer is telling me I'm covered because I have terms and conditions signed. I am basically giving somebody a gun and getting them to sign a document that says, I promise to not point this at my own foot and pull the trigger. Um, and they're doing it. And for some reason, I felt an enormous responsibility at that point. And I just decided that I didn't want to do that. I wanted to show people how to actually invest safely and how to do it right and be in the game for a long period of time, not chase short-term returns. And so from that moment, I decided I'm never talking about leverage ever again. I'm never talking about, and I'm talking about, you know, leverage in the stock market. I'm not talking about leverage. I'm not talking about margin ever again. And I need to take a break. I took a year off and I decided that if a business like this is so, um, it's so affected by a market turndown, I need to focus. The, more, the main thing for me is my own investing, number one just as a, you know, keeping myself secure. And then number two, if I want to teach people that I need to be responsible in what I'm teaching them, regardless of what the law says, regardless of what the legal guidelines are, what I can and can't do, I need to be able to be responsible based on my moralities. And so I decided to stop teaching leverage and I uh, created a program on gold and silver, which is what I was investing in back then. During that period, I took a hiatus. Uh, and then develop that to try and make safe investing exciting. Figured if I can do it with gold and silver, with the most boring investment on earth, then I could do it with real estate again without an issue. Um, and so gold and silver for life was born in 2010. Then a number of years later, property profits for life was born and then stock profits for life was born. And then last year, March of 2019, we rolled all of them up into perfect portfolio. 
Got it. Well, so it sounds like you've done a complete 180 since 2008. And are you only investing in, or sorry, better question is, has the business now transitioned to 100% education with the, the goal of trying and investing your own money on the side into these things you're teaching about? Yeah, well, that's the primary goal. It's not on the side. That is my 100% intention um, to, and one of the things I realized, and I'm sure you'll, you, you know, you might be able to relate with, and that is with my old business, as I was doing, you know, traditional real estate, as I was focusing more on the education side and that was growing, the traditional actual real estate investing was suffering because you're traveling for two weeks out of the month. So it's like, right. and when the 2008 uh, crash happened, I realized that I'm never making that mistake ever again because my own portfolio is the most important thing um, for me. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to make that mistake with then after the 2010 period. And so tell everyone how you're investing today in real estate versus being an active investor in the past. Yeah. So now I use REITs. I use US listed REITs and I use REIT ETFs uh, to invest. Those ETFs also come with a dividend payment. So that's your cash flow coming in. And then I use options to further enhance the amount of cash flow that I'm generating. So the particular REIT, for example, that I like to invest in, it's a REIT ETF. It's called VNQ. Uh, it's the Vanguard REIT, uh, uh, REIT fund. And in essence, I'm getting since inception an 8.48% compounded uh, capital gain. I'm getting a 4.5% dividend yield and I'm getting an extra 12% a year cash flow based on what I'm doing. The benefit of this is with one stock purchase on my phone, I'm invested in eight different real estate sectors across 154 different real estate projects across the USA. So I've got full diversification uh, and full ability to manage it however I want to manage it. Most importantly, I've got the, the world's best nerds of lawyers, accountants, um, and financiers making sure that they make me money. Why? Because if the, the year that they don't make me money, my money's out of there and another hundred millions out of there too. So they've got to make money. They've got to perform. They've got to make these funds perform. They get to deal with all the hassle. They get to deal with all the work. And because of the economies of scale on this, on this fund on VNQ, I pay a yearly fee of 0.12%. For the privilege. For, 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 for management, right? Yes. For fund management, yeah. Interesting, because uh, one of the big things that we talk about on the show is having direct access to the tax deferment basis on, on cost segregation and owning directly into real estate versus through a REIT, you're buying a stock and thus you don't get the, the tax as much tax benefits or if any. Um, so how are, you, how are you figuring that part out when you don't own a physical, the physical brick and mortar? Well, from, from my perspective, you've got to look at it and go, what's the actual goal on what you're trying to do? For me, it's lifestyle. So when I work it out, the added benefit of having the tax deferment doesn't make any sense. And also there are, as you know, based on the conversation we had off screen, there are many more ways to, to create tax deferment with a stock market portfolio than, you know, than being forced to having to do physical real estate. That is, these are basically two different um, objectives for an individual and they've got to look at which one they want to do with the physical ownership you are going to have extra work and if you don't want to do that then forcing yourself to do that and creating a life where you force where you're in that life is is a choice that you have for me it's more easier to create uh, an alternate um, tax efficient structure 
to allow my stock portfolio to grow and have the lifestyle benefits of that. What sort of advice can you give on the, the, the tax deferment issue with a stock portfolio versus a traditional real estate investment portfolio um, and then how you're structuring it today? I, I really do not like talking about tax. Uh, I think <laughs> someone needs to get, someone needs to have the right uh, advisor um, and someone needs to be uh, very much in tune with international law to understand that, especially in today's world where, you know, it is the, the, the net, so to say, is getting so close, uh, so close in. And it's actually better. The, the problem with uh, answering this question from my perspective is that I'm a non-U.S. resident. Right. And so for non-U.S. residents, it is much more easier to do tax deferment plans um, and tax efficiency plans than it is for a U.S. resident. The U.S. has the FATCA laws that are uh, at a, a level which I would not want to be under. Um, and, and in fact, the U.S. is now the best tax haven in the world for every non-U.S. resident. You know? <laughs> because the U.S. had, FAT, the, the US had FATCA uh, come in where basically if you're a U.S. resident and you're hiding money anywhere in the world, you're screwed. So the 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 rest of the world thought hey this is this is not a bad idea we should all get together and do this so they came up with a common reporting standard and then they went to the us and said hey can you sign up to this and give us information on any non us resident and they said no we don't need to do that so and that was one of barack obama's administration's geniuses because what he in essence did was put the majority of tax havens out of business in a big right. way because now you know where else do you want to put your money besides the usa so right. you can back with US dollars as well. Exactly. So any non-US resident can effectively have their money in the USA, have the full backing of the US dollar and have the secrecy laws that come with the USA uh, and all the LLC laws and things like that. So I don't like talking about particular structures for obvious reasons. And I think everyone needs to get their own uh, advice to be able to do that in the best way possible. I'm interrupting this episode to remind you guys about the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. If you want to take your investing career to the next level and surround yourself with the best in the business, then apply today. Spots are filling up fast. I'm only taking a handful of people for the next round, so get your application by emailing me at info, I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Now back into the show. No, but it's good to it's good to give some education and some insight into how that works, and and, and just some uh, some fundamental issues that have changed over the years under Barack Obama's administration that have benefited international folks that, particularly like yourself, are now look at the United States differently from a tax tax haven quote unquote point of view because of all these other secrecy laws. So it's very interesting to get a different perspective on it, and I think that was that's all I needed. So. Um, Talk to me about how you're educating your, your your students and your clients now about investing in gold and silver. I actually don't think I've ever spoken to anyone on this show about the, the value of gold and silver. So maybe we can dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so gold and silver is actually just uh, an inverse uh, asset to cash. And so the logical reason of investing in gold and silver is this. Is more cash going to be printed? And if the answer is yes, then you need to have some gold and silver. It's just as simple as that. There's a 92% correlation to the amount of money that's printed and the amount of gold, the, the price of gold and silver going up. So if we think that more money is going to be printed over the next 15, 20 years, you need to have gold. 
and silver. It's very, very simple. So um, the problem with gold and silver traditionally are that they are dead assets until you sell them, right? Mm -hmm. So unlike real estate, you're buying the bricks, you're buying the coins, and they're sitting there until you sell them one day. The problem with that is that's a shit way of doing things because if, if you are going to grow wealth consistently, you need cash flow. You need the ability to have liquidity. One of the biggest problems with gold and silver that most people don't realize is that, for example, an investor, um, you know, in Texas, for example, right, goes and buys some gold and silver. Now, the problem is, is that when he wants to go and sell that gold and silver, where's he going to sell it? He's going to sell it in Texas. And typically he's going to go around to maybe 10 in a 10 mile radius around his, his home to sell that gold and silver. Now what happens if all the Texas dealers get together and say, we're going to offer less than market on this. So he is now screwed. He doesn't have number one. He doesn't have liquidity. Number two, he doesn't have cash flow, but he's now susceptible to one of the biggest issues with gold and silver. And that is a local market issue. So when I was buying physical gold and silver, when I first started and I didn't know any better, I was subject to London prices. But gold and silver and everything that we do is an international market. So why can't you take advantage of the international benefits that come with that? Now, the good thing is, is that there are innovations in investing that have happened called exchange-traded funds. People don't understand. These are actually innovations that have happened in the investment field. And so you can buy gold and silver via an exchange-traded fund have complete liquidity, have cash flow ability through options, which is what we do, and have the ability to not get screwed when you want to sell that because you're selling it at the true market value. So that's what we do. My main philosophy is this. I want to buy an asset that's going up in value. I want to cash flow it, and I want to take the cash flow and buy more of that asset. Simple. That's all I do. So talk to me about the type of returns you're getting in today's market on gold and silver. Yeah, so gold and silver will typically compound at about eight percent a year as uh, over over uh, over a long period of time. Then on top of that, we're generating a one to two percent a month cash flow, so that works out at twelve to twenty six percent a year ish um, on the gold and silver that we're holding. From what? By using options to allow speculators to bet on what's going on with the prices. So my main goal is to own that gold and silver long term. The good thing about the U.S. stock market and any pretty much almost any stock market is that you can allow speculators to speculate on what's going to happen to the future price of an asset. Those you could a way of doing that is futures, and another way of doing that is options. So we use on the options side, we allow them to speculate on the gold and silver that we own with certain parameters, and according to the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, about ninety percent of speculators on options, which is the other side of what we do end up losing money. So hmm. when they're losing money, we're making money. So 90% of the time we're making money and their bets go wrong. And the other 10% of the time we have parameters and rules to make sure that you don't lose your gold and silver at the wrong price. Interesting. And are they, are they betting and speculating on the, the gold and silver obviously going up or that it's tanking or a bit of both? A bit of both. Got it. Got it. And obviously that's where the parameters come in. <laughs> yeah. So what is the number one thing that people need to understand when investing in gold and silver from a High level point of view, it's interesting to them. It sounds like you've got a, a, a little mousetrap set up in terms of how you make the best of both worlds. The number one thing that you got to understand is that gold and silver are cash flowable assets. The biggest problem that people have and the reason why real estate investors and stock market investors shy away from gold and silver is that they think that these assets do not cash flow. And that is absolutely bullshit. 
the second thing you got to understand is that using market innovations like ETFs is not wrong. And so there's a lot of fear mongering going on in the gold and silver space that ETFs are bad and things like that. And if you have a look at who's doing the fear mongering, it's people that are selling physical gold and silver and they have an interest in a business that's selling physical gold and silver. And the reason why they're doing it is because on the first three days of inception of a gold ETF, it brought in a billion dollars worth of capital because it created liquidity in a market that traditionally didn't have that much liquidity. And so these innovations are putting bullion dealers out of business. And so that's why there's a ton of negativity out there around exchange traded funds uh, when it comes to precious metals. So what you've got to realize is these are safe, stable, secure ways of investing in the metal. As long as you are not investing, thinking that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse, the best way of doing it is the ETFs. Got it. And talk, talk me through about the, the, the you talk about the, the transition to these ETFs in historically being a local market. And then this, this when did this ETF come out? When did they come? When, when was it born? It, uh, I'd have to, I'd have to, I think it was 2006 yeah. or something like that. I'd have to, I'd have to dig Got it out. It. Uh, but it was essentially a reaction to the market of, of, of avoiding that localized trading that was going on to not screw the individual person who had a bunch of gold sitting in their, in their closet. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you had, you had people that had so much gold sitting everywhere that it made complete sense to create an ETF so that it could be traded and give you the price exposure of your gold and silver. If your main goal is to have possession of actual gold, fair enough, you've got to own the physical. There's no other way of doing it. But if your main goal, which is what I think most people's main goal is, is to actually profit from gold and silver, not just hold on to the physical, then there's no better way than the ETF. Got it, got it. And then it, it, walk us through the actual structure of how it works. Is there an online uh, platform that you go to that you can trade like you trade in stocks and bonds uh, that you just buy a bunch of gold, buy a bunch of silver, hold on to it as in a bank account or bank account online on your dashboard that you can can use to then trade up and down using uh, options or, or futures? Yeah, you, you basically do it through your current broker account. Whatever your current broker account is, you'll be able to go and invest in GLD, which is the ETF for gold, or SLV, which is the ETF for for silver. Got it. Awesome, mate. Yeah. What is um? What, what's the what's the the goal for? You've you've clearly come through a lot of evolutions of your business and and a growth as an entrepreneur. What's uh twenty twenty got in store? Twenty twenty is really about understand. For us, twenty nineteen was another year where we built a, a foundation part of of the business. I go through that every seven or eight years. By the way, I just looked up when that uh, ETF was um, incepted. It was 2004 for you. So um, for me, 2020 is about working with another, we only work with about 155 people a year. So it's about finding better qualities of those people, getting better at attracting those people uh, and really building deeper relationships with all of those, all of the people that we have under our care. And really that's what it means to me when someone becomes a client, it's somebody that's under my protection. So I've got to, we've just got to get, keep getting better at that. Our strategies will never change. What we do will never change. We are about helping people execute and helping people execute consistently. Got it. And, and talk to a little bit about the program and what does it in, entail, how to get involved, all that sort of good stuff. 
yeah so you can go and watch a, a training uh, webinar which i'm sure you're going to have a link to in the show notes anyway so they can go ahead and click on that and access a free completely free training i go through the actual etfs that we use and things like that and break them all down so you can have a look at that then you go through an application process if what you think is right by the way we take more than 50 percent of our fee after we make you fifty thousand dollars in profit so you're only going to be paying our pro, uh, the program price is about 12 and a half grand. You pay 4997 US dollars, by the way, that is 4997 upfront. You get access to absolutely everything and you pay the other $7,503 when we make you $50,000 in profit. That's, uh, that's the way I like to do things. Once you're in, you go through the trainings, you have a coach one-on-one -on -one coaching call, uh, with our head coach, which by the way, has, he's been investing his real money, his re his and his family's real money with the strategies for five years. We don't just pay coaches to sit there and read a book and then, uh, respond to an email. Um, this guy is one of my best friends in real life as well. So, uh, you'll get a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with him. You then get into the program. You have weekly coaching calls uh, on a Monday for life. So you never, ever pay for one of those again uh, for as long as you want to attend. You can take uh, three weeks off. You can come back. There's no issues with that whatsoever. And that's it. That's once you get going. We just want to get you going as fast as possible. I believe in just-in-time learning. I actually don't believe anyone learns anything before actually doing it. You might think you know it, but I think you learn it while doing it. Learning what? No, one hundred percent agree. Um, and does does a program require you to have capital ready to deploy into these different gold, silver, REITs, uh, different vehicles that you're, you're you're educating about? Yes. So we we really don't work uh, with people who are in the process of generating capital. That's not where we uh, are best suited. We work with people that have generated capital or are generating capital, whether it's through a business. A, you know, a family business or a personal business or a, a property portfolio or whatever it is, their job, however it is, but you've got to have some capital to be able to work with us. Uh, we typically recommend about $50,000 ready to invest, but you can test the strategy for $5,000 until you're comfortable. Interesting. Awesome stuff, man. Well, I know we're getting to the end of the show. Uh, do you want to dive into the top five investing tips? Yeah, let's let me think about these. So no, one, no, 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 I've got five of them for you. So luckily, I've right. got to tell. So no, I couldn't just throw you under the bus, mate, and say give me your top five investing tips. <laughs> the number one question. So it's sort of like a lightning round. So it's a bit of a back and forth. But so, what is the number one habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Oh wow, that's an interesting thing. I think it's nothing to do with investing. Actually, it's actually fasting. So I think fasting is a very, very good, like intermittent fasting or something like that. It's, it's absolutely fantastic uh, to keep your mind on point. Do you do that every day or is it like once a week? So I do alternate day fasting, which is basically eating for 12 hours, then not eating for approximately 36 hours and then eating for another 12 hours. Wow. That's, that's intense. <laughs> it feels, it feels freaking phenomenal though. I tell you that once you really? get over three rounds of it, you know, three, three, three segments of it, it feels absolutely phenomenal. I cannot imagine going back to eating every single day. Um, are you cutting out any, I, I, I'm digressing from the top five investing tips, but I'm interested, are you doing anything in particular in terms of what you don't eat when you do, when you do come to eat, like no meats or certain dairy or anything like that? Well, I was, I've always been vegetarian, um, but uh, yeah, so I got a food intolerance test done. 
there's people that believe in those. There's people that don't believe in those. But I got it done, and it said that I was intolerant to cow's dairy uh, and eggs. So I basically avoid cow's dairy. I can eat, I can drink when I go for a pizza. Uh, I'll have I'll just make sure that they have buffalo mozzarella instead of uh, a cow's a cow's milk dairy, and I feel absolutely completely different. Like I can have a pizza uh, with normal cow's milk cheese versus buffalo uh, milk cheese. And it, it is a completely different experience. Interesting. That's awesome. Um, next question is, who's the number one or who's the most influential person in your career to date? Wow. I can't really answer that question. The reason is, is because I don't believe in mentors for life. I think, I think people should have mentors for goals. So sure. I, I really cannot answer that question because at every stage of my life, I've wanted to do a different thing. And I've, another person has been the most significant person. At, right. No, I, I completely point. agree with that. But I, I would have thought it would be in your dad because it was that, in, that, that influential moment that you were able to prove to him that you were you could negotiate in a better way. And, and you, you know, challenged a, you. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, yes, but I didn't. I was never actually going out to prove anything to him. And right. I think that's why it worked. I already knew I could do it. I just had to figure out how, you know, I already had that, you know, that asshole inside of me that was, that knew I was better than any, than anything else. Right. So I, I already had that. Um, and so I was never trying to prove it to him or trying to prove it to anyone else. I was mainly trying to prove it to myself. So yes, the, the most influential moment in my life absolutely was the moment where he said, well, show me, you know, rather than, uh, rather than screw off, basically. <laughs> awesome stuff. Being a tech guy, I'm sure you have an influential tool in your business. What, what is it? An iPhone. An iPhone, yeah. Thought it would have been. You, you mentioned it two or three times on the show already today. Yeah, iPhone, so. I think it's the, it's the best innovation ever to come out. Unfortunately, more, more, most people are using it for what it shouldn't be used for. Um, I'm not into social media or anything like that. I don't. You will not find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on shit like that. I just am not interested in any of that whatsoever. Uh, but the iPhone, I can run pretty much my entire business on that. Uh, and the only other thing I need is the MacBook, which we're talking on right now. Right, exactly. In one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? And what did you learn from your, that failure? I lost $100,000 in three days once. What was, the, what, what, was the, what was the learning from that? Greed, greed and greed. fear. Yeah, master that, master the greed and fear, which is why now when people go through our investing programs, my main job is to get their nervous system ready for investing. It's nothing to do with the strategy. There's not too many, as you know, there are not too many strategies that you can do, that you can use to make money. It's very simple. Making money is freaking simple. It's, it's the mindset and it's the, it's the reaction that you have to what gets thrown at you that's going to determine whether you can actually do it or not. And so my main goal is, is to coach people's nervous systems so that, you know, when the market is down and they're looking at uh, a red on their account, they don't overreact and start selling things. Uh, or when the market is up, they don't get too celebratory and start spending more money. You know, it's just things like that. Interesting. No, I think it's, it's that 80-20 rule, right? It's 80% mindset, 20% doing. So, so awesome stuff. Mate, last question. Where can people reach you if they want to learn a little bit more about what you do, the courses that you teach? Where do they go? To be honest with you, the best thing they can do is go into your show notes and just 
get the go 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 and uh, access the trainings because that has everything in there. I go through the ETFs, I go through the strategy, I go through what we do, and everything's in there. So you can get a complete understanding of everything. Uh, and like I've like I've been saying, what we do, what we sell, the important part of what we sell is not the strategy. We give a lot of it away on a webinar. You can actually go watch it and work it out and do it yourself. What we specialize in is the coaching, the support, and the execution of that strategy. That's why we have clients in 46 countries. That's why we've been doing this since 2010 without changing the strategy once. That is what we specialize in, and that's who we want to work with. The strategy is the strategy is the strategy. You know, I'm pretty sure that the strategies that you lay out in your books, if anyone really paid attention, they could go and do it, right? Sure, 100%. It's, Exactly. And it's not about the strategy. It's about actually doing it. That's what we want to help people with. It's not rocket science at the end of the day. It's just about learning the basics. It's That's the constant. The variability is you as the person and how you talk about mindset and the fear factor um, of when things go red or things go green and, and not to overspend or not to panic buy or panic sell, I should say. Um, well, mate, look, I really want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to jump on this show. I want to just quickly summarize some of the big things that I took away from today's show. I think the one thing that you said, it's easy to sell something that is that is true on a spreadsheet than, than bullshit, what you said earlier. I think it was sales are easy when it, you don't have to bullshit. I think that is completely true. And that, that means that the product's got to be good, the, the, the investment's got to be good, and it speaks for itself. So you're not actually selling. So sales becomes really, really easy. And I think the power of negotiation that you learn at a young age is really important to help you set you know your career that you're on today and the business that you've created, because that is really important. The negotiation tools and understanding going back to that no BS attitude and, and, and what a deal's a deal and this is what I'm going to offer for it and that, let it sell it for itself. So I think those are the two big things that I've, um, uh, that, that I've taken away from the today's show. And the last thing I think which summarizes it all up is keeping money versus making money and changing your mindset around that was probably pretty influential in your career growth from what he, I was hearing um, that you pivoted a few years back to then train people and have a morale that you want to train people about you know, keeping money rather than just making it. Um, yeah. did, did I leave anything out? Yeah, no, I think you covered everything very well. I think the the only thing I want to add is just a message to anyone who's watching this, who's sitting with cash on the sidelines. You have no idea how stupid you are being by having cash on the sidelines, thinking, hoping, whatever you want for a market crash. We are not going to see a 2008 style market crash in our lifetime. Statistically, those come around once every 70 years. We've seen one already right now in the US is the best place to invest. However you do it, you need to get that cash freaking invested because right now we're entering the prime spending years of millennials, which means that stock market real estate is going to go up up until about 2035. And you are going to kick yourself if you are not invested. The crash that everyone is going on about the slowdown, the economic weakness, all this other shit that all these fear mongers are talking about has already happened. And you've only got to bring up the chart, the S&P 500 and look at it from 2018 to the end of 2019 to see that the market went absolutely nowhere for a period of 20 months. That was your slowdown. It broke up in 29 end of 2019. And now we're on a trajectory of upward, uh, upward growth in the markets. And that's going to include real estate and that's going to include the stock market. And subsequently that will include gold and silver. Gold and silver will not go up just because the stock market crashes. The only time gold and silver skyrocket is when there is a dollar crisis and we're not going to mm. see one of those for a while. So therefore gold and silver will go up, but for the simple reason 
that a big hedge fund like Ray Dalio's Bridgewater, that's got $100 billion under management, as that $100 billion turns to $125 billion, they've now got to reallocate some more of that $25 billion to gold and silver based on their arithmetics. That will increase the demand of gold and silver, and that will push the price of gold and silver up while the stock market goes up. So right now, the worst thing that you can do is be sitting in cash. What I'm saying does not mean that there won't be a pullback. There will be a pullback. There's a correction every 12 to 18 months. This is standard. There is nothing scary about that. Those are buying opportunities. The key thing is you've got to be invested. The worst thing you can do is be in freaking cash right now. Absolute worst thing you can do. And stop believing the fear mongers. They've, they've been absolutely wrong consistently. Um, and they're, they're really not worth listening to as, as of this point. Right. Beautifully said. <laughs> Absolutely beautifully said. No, I think it's really important that, yeah, sitting on the sideline, um, we, I, I've also heard the exact same sentiments from a lot of people on this show about the, it's already kind of the slowdown has happened and whatever slowdown is around the corner has already really occurred and it will happen again in probably five, six years time. But the, 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 the lifetime slowdown we had has already occurred in 2008 and 2009 and I tend to agree with you that you know the last time was the Great Depression back in the the late twenties. So hopefully it's the roaring twenties of two thousand and twenties now, and we see a massive, massive growth. But again, mate, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy Colombia, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thank you so much, man. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible stuff from um, from Manish and his incredible journey all the way around the world and how he's learnt about the different investment strategies, about keeping your money versus making money and about how it's slow and steady wins the race. These are not complicated things that he's talking about. Please don't be a fool in your money. So if you want to find out a little bit more about Manish on my website, there will be all the links to his um, all his webinars and his all his you know, great information. So please jump off onto readgooses.com and make sure you click on the podcast tab. And we're going to do this all again next week. So be bold, be brave. And remember, go give life.